is from 1 John chapter 4, um, verses 1 to 6. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we are to recognise the spirit of truth from the spirit of falsehood. Good evening, everyone. Um, Let's pray once more and ask for God's help as we come to his word. Our God and Father, it is wonderful to sing your praises. And our hearts are full of joy at who you are and what you have done for us. That you would send your son, your only son who you love, to die for us when we were far from you, when we didn't know your name. Thank you for your goodness to us. And we pray that because of your mercy, because of your goodness, you would now speak to us. We are hungry to hear from you. We need you to um, show us truth, to give us clear minds, to um, help us know what is real and what is fake, so that we might trust you and keep trusting you the whole of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I am not sure that I ever thought I would quote the film Anchorman in a sermon, but here we go. There was a time, a time before cable, a time when the local news reader, news anchor, news reader, reigned supreme. This was a time when people really believed everything they heard on the TV. I think maybe there was that time, but the world's changed a little bit since then. In 1938, um, an adaptation of H.G. Wells' novel, The War of the Worlds, was broadcast on radio. Um, And it was done as a series of news reports. And people listening to the radio thought that Martians really had come and were invading and were about to conquer the world. And people ran out into the streets screaming. There There was panic. People heard it on the radio. They assumed it must be true. The world's changed a little bit since then. It used to be easy to know what to believe. Conspiracy theories used to be easy to spot. There used to be something like um, the Queen Mother is uh, one of the reptilian overlords, a lizard super race who is secretly running the world. That kind of a thing. You see it, you go, that's probably not true. So I was looking confused. She wasn't, okay? She really wasn't. The world's changed a little bit. When Boris Johnson makes an election pledge... You don't think, oh, well, good, now I know exactly what's going to happen. You think, is he telling the truth? When um, uh, Donald Trump tweets, you don't think, well, I'm glad he's cleared that up for me. I'm glad I now know exactly what's going on. You think, what's he trying to hide? What's he trying to distract me from? When you go on Facebook and you see an advert or a a news article... um, You don't think, oh good, 
Now, now I have a source of truth that I can rely on. You think, who's paying for that? Where is the army of Russian bots who are trying to influence me and in how I think and how I vote? It feels like everything is up in the air. How, how can I know something's true unless I've seen it myself? Unless I've touched it myself? Unless I've held it in my hand and known it firsthand? And then the Christian faith, well, the stakes are so much higher. Because you start talking about ultimate reality. We use words like God, like sin, like heaven and hell, eternal life. And you think, well, okay, the stakes just got a lot higher there. And maybe you, well, you're kind of agnostic about this kind of truth claim. You think, well, there's no way we can know those kind of things with enough certainty. I just can't get there. We can't know that kind of thing for sure. Or maybe you hear those things and you're deeply suspicious. You think, as soon as someone says something like that, well, they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. Someone's trying to influence me. Someone's trying to get power over me. And I can't believe that unless I've seen it myself. Even if you're open to you know, being religious, there's so many options to choose from. So many ways to be spiritual. So many ways to connect, seemingly, with something bigger than yourself. Even if you think, well, yeah, I think I probably am a Christian of some kind. It's, it's kind of like walking into an ice cream shop. And there are millions of flavors. What flavor do you want? Uh, Pentecostal? Episcopalian? Premillennial? Postmillennial? Amillennial? You say, I, I don't care. Which, which one's real? And they give you a funny look. What, what do you mean, which one's real? What flavor do you want? I think, well, how do I know I've got the right, the right truth? How do I know that what I have is the real deal? That I wasn't just in a particular place at a particular time and everyone around me thinks the same, so that's why I believe it. And then worse, there were, there were clever people, scholars, professors, doctors, people who will say loudly out there and in your ear, maybe in your lecture halls if you're a student, maybe in your workplaces, your boss, it's not true. It's ridiculous. Perhaps worst of all, Christians who you look up to, Christian leaders, Christian celebrities, sometimes go back on what they've said. I, not long ago, um, gave a book about Christian dating to a student at City. And they came back to me and said, you know the author of this has actually said he doesn't agree with it anymore. It's like, okay. Uh, okay, but I, I think it's okay. Keep going with it. He then was at me a while later to say, you, you know actually he's not a Christian. And I thought this, this student was just messing with me. So I looked it up. And no, no, they're on Instagram. This person had said, um, so Josh Harris, you know, a very respected Christian leader who you know, I looked up to, who had a, an impact on me, had said, I no longer consider myself to be a Christian. And quite apart from, okay, well, does his dating advice still stand or not? You think, what if he's right? What if actually he's seen the light and I'm the person who's yet to catch up? Or even if I, I still am right, how do I know that's not going to be me? How do I know that I'm not going to do the same thing? Because he wouldn't have said he'd do that, I'm sure, 10 years ago. Do I have to stop what I'm doing now? Is everything I believe potentially wrong? In a confusing world, how can you know the truth? And how can you know that you'll stick with it once you've found it? The Apostle John is writing in this letter to churches in Ephesus. That's, I think, modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them because there's been a split in the church. Some of the people who were there in the church have started to believe some other things, some different things, and they've left. They've gone and formed something else, something new. And that's painful, that's confusing. But even worse, they've started to send people back to John's, this church that John has authority over, has responsibility for, trying to persuade them to leave as well. 
And they're saying, well, we don't know what's true anymore. We don't know, have we got the real thing or have they got the real thing? And John is writing to reassure them. Chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I'm writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know that what you have is the real thing. To stop you from giving it up, giving it away, changing it, ditching it. He wants to make sure we can know truth in a confusing world. First thing he says, hopefully these will come up behind me. He gives them a warning. Don't believe everything you hear. That's verse 1. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, if you go back one verse, John has just said, how we know, this is how we know God lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. He's saying, well, one of the ways we know that we're Christians is God's spirit lives in us and confirms that to us somehow. But it seems like the people who were going to this church were saying, no, no, we've got the spirit too. We're from God. And so John says, no, don't believe every spirit. Just because they say they're from God doesn't mean they're actually from God. John's not saying that there are literal angels and demons coming and speaking to them. He's saying there are people claiming to have God's spirit, claiming to be from God, to speak for God. But you shouldn't believe everything you hear. When I worked at another church um, in the office, there were two people called Robin and Beth. And Robin could be a little bit cruel to Beth sometimes. Robin told Beth once that if you typed Google into Google, it would break the internet. Pretty standard line. You've seen this kind of thing before. And Beth, she, she was going to test this out. And so she typed Google into Google. And as she pressed enter, what she didn't see was Robin's hand around the back of the computer pulling out the internet cord. And so she just freaked out. She'd broken the internet. Or my favorite from them was actually when Beth needed to record something onto a CD. And Robin convinced her that what she had to do was put the blank CD into a CD player. Okay, okay. Fair enough so far. Turn up the volume to maximum and then shout into the speakers. And then it would record it onto the CD. My favourite ever isn't actually Robin and Beth, it's my dad and one of his sisters, I won't name her. Um, we were due to be going to the Isle of Wight with the sister and her family. And my dad convinced her to ring up the ferry company and ask how long the crossing would take. Okay, fair enough. But the reason was because the Isle of Wight was floating. It was on a chain attached to the mainland, and depending on whether the tide was in or the tide was out, it would be further away or closer. So she had to ask, where's the Isle of Wight today? How long is this going to take? And she did. And John is writing and saying to these people, don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you hear. You know, some of us think, being a Christian, you're just being told to just believe. Don't ask questions, don't test anything, don't look too closely, just believe it. John says, no, you are commanded, expected, responsible for testing, discerning, looking closely, working out, is this true? Is this from God? A few things, just to draw back a little bit, he's saying about truth here. Firstly, he's saying that truth is possible. And maybe if you're a bit agnostic about truth, this might be the main challenge for you in this passage. He's saying that actually you can arrive at a point of assurance, knowing that something's true. And, you know, we, we live like that, don't we? When you enter a relationship, when you sign up for a degree course, when you uh, apply for a job, when you make any big life decision, you're making it based on something that you, in theory, you're not completely certain of, but you've reached a level of assurance about it. And John's saying, you can reach that point with Jesus. Go back to 1 verse 1, he says, that which we have seen, which we have heard, which we have touched with our hands, that's what we're talking about with Jesus. That's quite, those things are quite high marker levels of assurance, aren't they? Truth is possible. 
Secondly, truth is essential. Why? Because, second half of that, verse 1 in chapter 4, many false prophets have gone out into the world. These people, they're trying to lead you away. They claim to speak for God, but they don't. And so actually you have a responsibility to get to a point of truth. It's not just you can, you have to. Because Jesus isn't like an ice cream flavor. You need to get there. Truth is essential and truth is spiritual. When you are on Facebook and you see that election ad, I think we're learning as a culture to look down and look, who, who paid for this? Where's this coming from? What's behind it? And although I don't think John's saying angels and demons are speaking directly to people in the church, I think he is saying by using that word spirit, there's something behind these truth claims. It's not neutral. There are influences there. And there's God's spirit that's bringing truth. Jesus says in John's gospel, so same writer, same John, Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus' truth does. But there are other forces here as well. When he says false prophets have gone out into the world, when John uses the word world, he's not talking about just the physical world, he's speaking about humanity opposed to God under the influence of Satan. That's what the world means. A place of darkness and opposition to God that is brought about by Satan, where he has influence. And he's saying that's where these messages are coming from. Truth claims aren't neutral. There's a spiritual element sitting behind them. So he says, don't believe everything you hear. Test what you hear. And you are bombarded all the time, all the time with messages. And you might not realize it. Anytime you go on your phone, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, BBC News, TikTok, Whatever it might be, you are getting messages. Okay, maybe that was the wrong one to choose. (laughs) You're getting messages. And whether you like it or not, they are influencing you. So discern them. See that they're there. Test them. Don't just let them sink into you. It's in the religious sphere as well. So in church, or with Christian friends, or in CE, or reading a Christian book, or listening to a podcast, whatever it might be, not every message that says it's from God, is from God. Not every movement that looks spiritual is from God's spirit. People come up with different ideas, a new kind of Christianity, a better way of doing things. John says, don't believe everything you hear. Individually, some people might say, well, I feel like God is saying this to me. And that person might be popular, they might have a following, they might be respected, they might seem wise, they might seem spiritual, but it's not enough. Even in church, even here. Don't just sit there. Don't just accept everything I say without thinking. Is this actually what it says here? John says, don't believe every spirit, but test it to see if it's from God. And you know, that that feels kind of narrow-minded. I get that. That feels dogmatic. And it feels better, in some way, to be open-minded. It feels better, more kind of righteous, to be a little bit ambivalent. Like, yeah, I'm open-minded to truth. Sit on the fence a little bit. Feels more spiritual. And John says, yeah, okay, but there are false prophets out there. So you need to not believe everything you hear. And it's so sad when you see a Christian who's had God's truth impact their heart and they've, they've grown and they've come alive and then they have their head turned by hearing something else and they just take it for granted. They don't, they don't look at it. They don't test it. John says, don't believe everything you hear. You might think, well, that's all very well, but how do I do that? 
Well, he then gives us two tests. So two times in this passage, he says, this is how you can recognize. Verse 2 and then in verse 6. And those are two tests that we're meant to apply to people, to messages, philosophies, systems, whatever it might be. First test is this. Test number one. What are they saying about Jesus? What are they saying about Jesus? He says it in the positive and then the negative. He says, every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That's the positive. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. That's the negative. And you read that and you think, well, that's kind of a low bar. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. I mean, I I think Mormons could say that. I think Jehovah's Witnesses could say that. I think some Muslims might be willing to say that. So it's not a very good test. It doesn't exclude much. I think we're meant to read those words as a bit bigger, with more content to them. Because John's been talking about who Jesus is. Come in the flesh, that means he is the divine forever son of God, the third, second person of the Trinity, who has come down and become one of us, has taken on a human nature. It's about who he is, but it's also about what he's come to do. He's come in the flesh, why? We saw last week, so that he could be a propitiation for our sins, an atoning sacrifice, so that he could, on a cross, take the blame for our brokenness, our wrongness, our rebellion, that's what he came to do. And that, that's all contained in there. So it's, it's, a, it's a bigger test than you might think, just first reading it. But also, this is a specific context. John is writing to correct particular errors that were going on in this church. Now, we're not sure exactly what they were, but they seem to be centered on Jesus, and particularly his humanity. So some people say, well, it might be something like this. Uh, people at the time, uh, there were some ideas uh, that you know, God, because he's spirit, he's kind of above all this kind of fleshy, physical stuff, and so he would never become a man. That's just not going to happen. And so, so instead, let's have Jesus as a man, and he's born, and then the kind of spiritual Christ bit kind of comes on him later and adopts him. So he's kind of like the adopted son of God. And then when we get to the cross, well, again, that's a bit kind of physical, a bit ugh. So the, the Christ bit kind of flies away and just leaves Jesus the man to die. Maybe been something like that that they were believing. I don't know for sure. And you might think, well, that, why does that matter? It feels kind of, you know, does that matter? People could still say, I love Jesus. They could still say he's from God in some way. They could still say he died. Maybe even died for sins. And, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses would say Jesus is a created being. Mormons might say he's a lesser deity. Muslims might say he's a prophet. Liberal Christianity has said he's a great teacher, maybe a miracle worker. They still love Jesus, still from God, still died. But John says Jesus reveals the Father. He is how we know about God. Jesus says in John's Gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John says at the beginning of his Gospel, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, he has made him known. Jesus is the only way we know truth about God. So if you start messing with Jesus then how do you know God? You can't. You get Jesus wrong and the gospel doesn't work. Think of a jigsaw. Have you ever done a jigsaw and you, you've got one piece wrong at the beginning somehow and then the rest of it just, just won't fit together after that. If you've got one piece wrong, you can't make the rest of it right. Or a Sudoku. Maybe this is a little bit geeky. This is who I am. Um, you start a Sudoku and you've got a choice in this first box. You can put like one of two different numbers and there's nothing to tell you which one it is. And so you go for one, then you get right to the end. And you go, oh, 
I should have put the other one in. It doesn't work because I got it wrong at the beginning. Look what happens when people tweak Jesus. So let's say, so the incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, that wasn't real. God wouldn't get mixed up with that. Well, the way that took some Christians was saying, well then, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. Because God's only concerned with the spiritual, with the mind, with what you think, with knowledge. And so do what you want with your body. It doesn't matter how you live. And some of them then started going, well then, let's prove that. By doing the most awful things we can think of with our bodies, just to prove to people that we're free from all that. Or the idea that Jesus is adopted as the Son of God. And Christ bit, kind of flew away at the cross. What does that mean? Well, that means the Son of God did not taste death for your sins. It means he didn't pay for your sin. He's not a propitiation, doesn't turn away God's anger. He's not an atoning sacrifice. You have no advocate, no one to speak to, your, to, you in, to, to God in your defense. You're not forgiven, you don't have eternal life. See? Tweak Jesus just a little bit. <coughs> And you lose everything. You get Jesus wrong, you lose the gospel. He's not just one piece. He's not just the, the little number at the beginning of the Sudoku. He is the foundation. He is the center. And you change the foundation and the house falls down. That's what you lose if you change Jesus. And so John says, this is how you recognize what's from God and what isn't. If they're changing Jesus, if they're straying from what we've said about Jesus, they are not from God. They are antichrist, Against him. Opposing him, not not slightly slightly different Jesus, not you know new and improved Jesus, anti Jesus, anti Christ. And so he says, accept no substitutes, no edits, no messing about with Jesus. Have zero tolerance for any message or any person who wants to tell you something different about Jesus. Change him when the house falls down. So let me ask you, what are you saying about Jesus? It matters what you believe about him. It's good to say I believe in Jesus, good to say I love Jesus, but what do you believe about him? Is he just a miracle worker? Is he just a good guy? Get off the fence about Jesus. Find out who he is, what do you make of him? Now, God's gracious, we don't need a PhD to, you know, to be able to know who Jesus is. But you can get Jesus wrong. There are messages out there that will make you believe wrongly about Jesus. And you lose him, you lose everything. Or apply this test to ideas. You know, philosophies, things people say, messages that, you, that come at you. And they look good, but you're not quite sure about them. There's something, something not quite right there. Follow it through and find out what it's saying about Jesus. And that's where you'll know. Almost always, these things center in on who Jesus is or what he came to do. And if at that point, it says something different, at that point you say, okay, I'm not accepting this. John says, what are they saying about Jesus? That's the first test. Second test, are they listening to Jesus' chosen witness? This is verses 5 and 6. The first test was, what are they saying about Jesus? Second test is more, where are they getting that message from? Who are they listening to? So verse 5, John says, they're from the world. So they being these people who've left, they're from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We're from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And you read that and think, what? My goodness, that sounds really, really arrogant. Basically saying, listen to us and you're fine. Listen to anybody else and that's not right. That feels really arrogant to us. But let's remember who John is. John's an apostle. Literally one who is sent. The people who, as he describes it at the beginning of this letter, 
those who touched, who saw, who held, who knew Jesus, and who held resurrected flesh, who heard a resurrected voice from beyond the grave, who were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus commissioned them. He sent them. He said, here's the message. Take it. Pass it on. Keep it. Don't change it. He said in John 16, 33, I will send you my spirit. He will guide you into truth. He'll remind you of everything I've said so that you can know that you're getting this right. And so in the early church, they didn't have a a New Testament Bible like we have. So you're not sure about something? Not sure how to interpret something? Well, you go back to the apostles and you ask them, what did Jesus say? What did he say to you? Because they've got the message that they're passing on. It's not about John. He's not saying, I'm so special. He's saying, listen to this message that Jesus wanted you to have. This is what Jesus wants you to know. And he's saying, those with God's spirit, listen to this message. It's like there's a silent disco going on in life. Go with me here. Um, In a silent disco, if you've ever been to one, there's no music coming out of speakers. You've got headphones. And you can't, you can't hear what other people are listening to, but you can see their moves. And in this silent disco, there are two types of music playing. There is one side, or one half of people, and they are listening to this message from Jesus that's been passed on and not changed. It's come down through the apostles. It's been preserved, and they're listening to it. And the other half are listening to the music of the world with the influence of Satan. Um, and all through this passage, you see John dividing people up. You're either spirit of truth or spirit of falsehood. You're either spirit of truth or spirit of error. You're either spirit of God or spirit of antichrist. You're either from God or you're from the world. And there's nothing in between. You're one or the other. You're listening to his music or you're listening to their music. One side is dancing to the beat of the gospel. Energized, animated by God's spirit. Listening to him. And the other side is dancing to the beat of the world. Where Satan has his influence. And John says, verse 6, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. If you listen to the message, if they listen to the message, they are from God. They've got God's spirit. They're genuine. If they're not listening, then they're not. Now, we don't have apostles in the same way, but we do have the scriptures, what they wrote. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says the scriptures are breathed out. That spirit language, breathed out from God's spirit. They are Jesus' chosen witness now. And so the question is, what music are you listening to? You need to ask yourself, am I listening to that music? To the music of the people who saw and touched and held the risen Jesus? Am I listening to that? And it draws you in. It's not just you listen to them and you listen to them tell you about their relationship with Jesus. It draws you in so that you receive God's spirit, so that you share that relationship, that experience, Jesus' power in your life. You dance to the same music as they did. How do you tell if that's the case with you? Well, you listen. You accept. You you might struggle for a while with some things. You might say, that's hard. But in the end, you accept. Or are you saying, no, I don't want that. Jesus is too narrow. Jesus is in the way. I want to get past that. Are you listening to this music? And some people will say to you, well, that was then, this is now. That was for that time. We've got to reinterpret all that, all that Bible stuff. it's, It's not really applicable to us now. Here's a new idea, some new inspiration. Here's some new teaching about the Christian life. Here's a new spiritual experience that you've got to have. Here's some different ethics. 
I know in student culture, just time and time again, Christians will come round to questions of things like drunkenness, things like sexuality. And I say, well, I know the Bible knows different, but that was so long ago, that's, that's hardly a good guide to how we live today. And you ask, well, what music is that person listening to? Where are they getting their ideas from? Where's the spiritual energy and influence coming from there? Is it from God, from his spirit, or is it from the world? I think this helps us when clever people don't, don't listen to the gospel. When university professors or Nobel laureates just say, oh, that's rubbish, it's nonsense. It's not that anyone with an IQ of 130 or over just automatically accepts the gospel because they're clever. It just depends how they've got the music of the world in their ears or the music of God's spirit in their ears. I think it helps us not to be thrown when people change channels and start listening to something else. Because we see that. We see Christian leaders, like I said at the beginning, just seem to change, just to stop being Christian. And they become more popular for that. People praise them. They say, thank you for being so brave. Thank you for being so bold, so honest, such integrity. And John says, they're from the world and speak from the viewpoint of the world. The world listens to them. Of course the world's going to love that. They're saying what they want to hear. John would say, don't let it shake you. Pray for them. Pray that they would change back the channels. Listen to God's spirit. Dance to that music again. But don't you be tempted to abandon Jesus' chosen witness. Don't you go down that road. Maybe you're thinking, well, this is all very dark and kind of scary. There are so many different messages. I already felt like I couldn't understand them. And now you're telling me that Satan is out there and he's trying to convince me and persuade me. People are out to make me abandon this. How can I withstand all that? Or maybe, in a corporate sense, as a church, we're processing um, things that are going on, um, announcements about the leadership of the church, that Neil's role in the church as a pastor is going to change, and that Hugh's role is changing, and that we're going to be looking for a lead pastor. I think, well, that, that feels a bit vulnerable. That feels like you know, there's a chance for things to go wrong there. How do we stay with the truth? How do we... Well, with a new, a new leader, what if we appoint a false prophet? Then what do we do? Remember what John's writing for. He's writing to comfort them, to reassure them, to say, no, no, you have eternal life. You have got the real thing. And so finally, he gives them an assurance. He says, hold on to this gospel, and you've already won. Hold on to this gospel, and you have already won. You might notice I skipped over verse 4. Let's read that now. You dear children, or little children, you can hear John's his care, his tenderness for the people he's writing to. You are from God, known by God, loved by God, possessed by God, chosen by God. You are from God and you have overcome them. You've overcome them. Those false prophets, those people who are trying to pull you away, you've overcome them. You've already won. Why? Well, as John speaks to them, it's, he's saying it's because you didn't leave. You didn't go. They went. They left. They showed they weren't from God. You stayed. And you showed you were from God. You discerned that this was from God. This was the real deal and not that. You discerned truth from lies. You held on. You stayed. You might be confused. You might be in pain. 
but you've overcome them just by holding on to this gospel. You've already overcome them. And so he says to us, we overcome by holding on to this gospel, by reminding ourselves of it, by reminding each other of it, by staying committed to meeting together, to gathering together here in home groups, at prayer meetings, in CU, whatever it might be, to watch over each other and to hold on to the gospel. He says, hold on to this gospel and you've already won. And you can react to that in two ways. You can kind of get puffed up and go, oh, I held on, aren't I great? I've done it, I've overcome. I believe they don't. I'm clever, they're not. I'm spiritual, they're not. Or you can feel the pressure and you go, my goodness, well, I overcame that, but by the skin of my teeth and I'm not sure I can keep going like that. I've got to keep overcoming. And John says, it wasn't you. It wasn't because you were smarter or more spiritual or better in any way. It's because, look at the second half of that verse, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When John says you have overcome, that word appears, I think, two times like that in the New Testament. Here and in John's Gospel, I think in chapter 16. And it's no accident. John is remembering something that Jesus said and referencing it here. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And John remembers that. And he's saying, you've overcome. Why? Because that Jesus lives in you. Because he overcame all those confusing messages. Jesus has beaten the fake news. All the head-turning, mind-boggling choices. All the claims to truth. All the false prophets, all the antichrists, all of the people who are under the influence of the world and telling you to listen to their music. He has overcome Satan himself. And Jesus says, yes, they'll trouble you, but I've overcome the world. And because that Jesus lives in you by his spirit, John can say, you have overcome the world. We overcome because Jesus has overcome. And that frees you from pride, thinking it was about you. It frees you from pressure, thinking you've got to you know, somehow do this by yourself. It's not you against the world. It's Jesus against the world, and he wins every time. So when the messages surround you, maybe this week you see something on social media, or someone says something to you, like, oh, this Christian said that, and just throws you, and you just feel confused, and your head's swirling. You can know truth in a confusing world. Look to Jesus. He is greater, and he is overcome. Or when the person you rely on starts to wobble. Or you find out that the person who had such an impact on you has walked away from Jesus seemingly. And you think, how, how can I know that's not going to be me? You can remain steadfast when others don't. Look to Jesus. He's greater. He has overcome the world. We started by asking, how can I be sure? In a confusing world, how can I know I've got truth? How can I hold on to it? John says, don't be gullible. Test what you hear. Don't just believe it. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about God's word? And Jesus says to you, city church, Christian, dear friend, little child, I am greater and I've overcome everything for you. So don't fear. Just hold on to this gospel and you've already won. Let's take a moment to reflect on that and let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we enter the Christian life only by your grace. If you had not loved us first, we would refuse you still. And we continue in the Christian life, not by our strength or our cleverness, but by your grace. Thank you that you've overcome the world and you live in us. So when we're confused, when we're struggling for truth, help us to look to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.